How to rock that car purchase in 2020. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Yeah, Brian, I'm so excited about this because I feel like, you know, everyone says, oh, the biggest purchase you'll ever make is your house. That's kind of the thing that we always hear. It's sort of common knowledge. I think for most people, the second biggest purchase they ever make is usually probably a car. And we have to do it a couple times throughout our lives. It's not like it's a one and done. This is something that keeps coming up, keeps happening. You have to keep working through as you age and as you move on in life. I think it's even, I think you could go as far as to say, this is probably the biggest financial mistake. You said it's not the biggest purchase, right. but it is probably the biggest financial mistake. And let me give you, because this show was actually inspired by full-time equivalent Daniel came to me. And he's always, everybody knows, if you want to waste time in the office, bring me an interesting fact. <laughs> and we will we will just pontificate. We'll go really a deep dive in it. So Daniel came to my office. He says, Brian, I got a stat that you're not going to believe when you see this. And this is what it's from the Wall Street Journal. And this came out, I mean, this is just a few weeks old, but hear me out here. We always announce that the typical car purchase is 39,105. Okay. That's what we've used a stat. That might be an updated stat, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Sure. What Daniel showed me is that the actual new car price is $33,312. The difference is is the negative equity, meaning there are so many people who are buying new cars that are underwater that the negative equity is getting rolled into their new purchase. So the dealership says, don't, don't worry about making that even. Don't worry about making that whole. Just go ahead and roll that on in. So we'll, you can buy this $33,000 car for $39,000. So it, And it's even worse because the interest rate on the negative equity loans is over 7%, which is I mean, Unbelievable. that's incredible. If you think about the opportunity costs of your army of dollar bills, that hurts you. And the average length of loan is over now six years. So <laughs> if you bring all this together, it made me, I was like, we need to do a public service announcement on how not to screw up sure. a car purchase. So we went and pulled the archives for the Money Guy show. We saw we have not done a show on purchasing vehicles mm -hmm. in the last two years. Right. So we were like, Okay, lots going on in the world, but this is something that we can help people make better financial decisions on car purchases and in 2020. We've actually put it in some steps. We're going to walk through some steps on how you should approach the car buying process, some things to think about. But before we do that, we have to lay out what we consider were kind of some ground rules. Well, right? I think you have to get your mind right. So take a deep breath in. And then these are the things we think if you're going to actually even approach the subject of purchasing a car, how do you idiot proof and give yourself some ground rules on, on to, to approach this in a, in a well-rounded way. I love it. And I think, Brian, the very first one that you started with, and, and I, I've heard you counsel so many folks as they approach this, is when it comes to purchasing an automobile, don't make it an emotional decision, right? And, and look, the car manufacturers, the car dealers, they know this is an emotional purchase. That's why if you look at the ads, we're in the holidays right now. They do the craziest thing. You'll see, you'll see a husband or wife give something and say, I want to surprise you. And then it's usually the husband because for some reason I always put the husband. 
I've got a surprise for you. And then they go out and they have an SUV and a pickup truck in the driveway. With a big old bow And you're like, what idiot buys a vehicle without (laughs) talking to their spouse? But somehow we're supposed to celebrate this and think that this is where things are. So it's emotional. And then I remember, I can't remember if it was Volkswagen or whatever. Uh Volkswagen, They they started with a little car on the guy's head because it was like a a car on the mind. Because it's on his brain. But then it keeps getting bigger, 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 bigger. Because you just can't control yourself. So the first thing you have to do is make sure your practical side is going to win out in this war over your emotional side. So promise yourself that. You also, you need to know, and we're going to repeat this several times in the show today, you need to tell yourself... We will not be buying this car in person. We're going to be talking about phone calls. We're going to be talking about email. You've got to keep the home court advantage. Use all those resources. You also need to understand that purchase price, trade-in values, all those things are much more powerful than the monthly payment trap. Bo, tell them what they do. When you walk on a dealership, what's the first question that a, that a salesperson's going to ask you? They always ask you, okay, well, what do you want your monthly payment to be? Yeah, you, it's you, a you trap. Know, before you start talking about what kind of car, price of car, well, hey, what's, what's your budget? How much are you planning on spending a month in car? Well, here's the dirty little secret you don't know. Just about any car, they can put you and they can fit it inside that monthly payment box. So if you're starting the conversation there, you are starting in the wrong place. And, and, and that, that leads to the last thing, which is, Look, a purchase transaction is going to have multiple components, and you need to be standing on guard. You need to tune up your spidey senses on all components of the transaction. We're talking about the purchase. We're talking about the trade-in, the finance, and even the extended warranty that they're going to throw in in that last meeting. You need to be on guard through the entire process. That's the only way you're going to make sure that you don't walk into a deal that you'll financially be struggling with for years. It will be the tail that follows you around. And I don't want to paint one too broad of a brush here, but unfortunately, in most circumstances, when you go on a car dealership and when you meet with that car salesman, the odds are that they are not trying necessarily to put you as their number one priority. The They're not fiduciaries. Nobody, probably... nobody at a car dealership is a fiduciary. That's There's right. no legal obligation to ensure that you get the best deal. So let's let's jump into this because there's obviously some steps we can take. That's the pre-steps. That's setting the table. Now let's actually move into step one, which is you've got to know your budget. Yeah, and I love it, Brian. What you said is know your budget, not know your monthly payment amount. <laughs> That's not what you need to know. You need to know how much can you budget to purchase this car for. It is. Look, car purchases, it's amazing they even call these things assets, because they depreciate so quickly mm-hmm. that you need to get your mind right to understand that it is all about how f- much use you're going to get out of that. So that's why I tell you, know your budget, but also how do you view your relationship yeah. with your vehicle? But what do we tell people? Because I have people who tell us, I'm a car person. Yep. What, 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 does, does that mean that they shouldn't have a nice car? No, and, and we hear that all the time. And you have to understand, you know, there are some folks who think that when you purchase a car, it is a point A to point B. It's just a thing to carry you. You know, I, I think, truthfully, Brian, I kind of fall into that category. I'm not someone who's always been super enamored with really nice cars. But some folks, they actually derive utility out of buying nice cars. And they like gadgets, maybe cars that drive themselves, whatever the case may be. There are folks who really like that. Well, if you're going to make, if you're going to be someone who is a car person, you just have to make sure you understand what that means and how you can be a car person responsibly. You just have to be, you got to kick rear end everywhere in your That's financial exactly life. Right. Order of operations has to be right. You have to have your savings priorities already fulfilled. If you tell me you're a car person and you, you, 
and you're going ahead and you're buying the BMW, you're buying the Audi and those things early, I want you to understand any type of premium brand purchase like that, 12 months, same as cash. Yep. No no ifs, ands, or buts. So understand that because cars lose 20 to 30% of their value in the first year. Yep. Like I said, it is almost criminal that we call these things assets because they are essentially disintegrating before our eyes. So you have to be very careful. Be a rock star. And the problem is most Americans have big eyes, small wallets. Because let's the, the auto industry's done some amazing stuff. They've made them beautiful. They are fancy. They are fast. They are performance. They have all kinds of doodads. Mm -hmm. So it's easy. If you just start looking at all the stuff that a car can be or do for you, it's easy to get really, really excited about that. But just like you said, you have to keep your eyes small and your wallet reasonable when you think about it. Well, the thing, and we're going to give a stat in a minute on some guidelines. <laughs> I'm always troubled that if you base it off of the average American is using 13% of their income towards their car purchases. And we know for a fact that the average American is not saving 13% of their income for the future to build financial independence. And the army of dollar bills will appreciate and actually work so you don't have to work so hard with your back, your brains, your hands. Your car will not. It actually, no matter how nice your car is, it is going to lose value. That's so right. keep that in priority. So let's talk about because the first decision people are going to ask themselves Am I buying a new car? Am I buying a used mm -hmm. car? And we don't think, you know, there used to be some conventional wisdom that you had to do one or you had to do the other. We're not so staunch in that. We think that there are benefits to both. There's benefits to new cars and there are benefits to used cars. So if we think about when it comes to purchasing a new car, uh, one of the best benefits is you don't really need to evaluate the condition of it. You know that it's a new car. You don't have to worry if the previous owner was taking care of it or, you know, if a 16-year-old was driving it and burning out every time they took off from right. a red light or whatever. You kind of know the condition of the car. Well, it is one of those things. I mean, let's kind of go through these because you. it is, and look, if show note prep, thinking about this now, we probably should have put the used car on the left and the new car on the right because the way I think about it is, Order of operations-wise, if I think about financial lives, you probably will when you first graduate college or get out in the workforce. If all of your army of dollar bills or the money you're making is going into a car, that is horrible. Yep. We've already kind of alluded to that. So you probably are going to start in your pathing relationship with vehicle purchases. You're going to start with used. Mm -hmm. I know our first few cars, I remember both, you interviewed with me. In a pickup truck. Uh huh. You showed up first day of work with a nicer car than I owned. I you owned that, a, you had an Acura, a pretty new Acura. So I was like, it was still used though. It was still used. It Acura, was used, but it was nicer than the F one fifty. I showed up the interview. In. So that, but that, is, but it is one of those things, and I think that is the mistake that a lot of us make is that you buy used, and that's good because mm -hmm. you probably got a much better deal buying that that car used sure. than you would have new. But there is going to be, I don't want you to skip steps, because I think a lot of times people graduate college, they think they need to reward themselves, so they'll think, I'm going to go ahead and buy a new mm -hmm. car, I deserve it, I owe it to myself because of all this hard work. No, that is not the case. You need to make sure it fits into the rules and boundaries of your financial life. And, it, the, and here's the deal, I was actually a responsible, sound financial decision maker even back then. But as a 20-year-old, I probably shouldn't have traded in the F-150 for an Acura. That's probably not what I should have done. That sure. wasn't the perfect car for me, even though it was used. It worked out. We all make mistakes. We're not all going to nail it. And that's what we're just trying to make sure 
Where does wisdom come from? It comes from experience. Yep. So it's one of those things we share with you the things we see with our clients. We share the mistakes that we've made because Lord knows we've both made yep. plenty of mistakes. And then we try to help you with it. So let's talk about these pros of buying a new car. Bo, kind of go through these and then, you know, I'll throw in the, the, the money guy flavor as so well. Obviously, number one is you don't need to evaluate the condition of it. Uh, number two, you get the latest and greatest. Uh, it used to be the latest and greatest features, like you could have power windows or power locks. But now it's even a little bit different. And this is something you and I talk about all the time, Brian, in the automotive industry, safety features are advancing at a rapid pace. And now we have driver assistance and lane technology. So you know when you're buying new, you're getting really great technology, the latest and greatest. Great point. Uh, Normally, when you buy a new car, you get full warranty coverage, uh, manufacturer's warranty, plus even potentially some additional dealer warranty stuff that they might add in there. Uh, And you have what we like to call the peace of mind premium. You just know that it's new. You just know that it's in a solid condition. Truthfully, those last two kind of go together because I think that that is, that's why I call it kind of an order of operations for vehicles, is you are probably starting off used because, look, you don't get a warranty on a lot of, you do on some used cars, Mm -hmm. I mean, certified and so forth. But if you're bare bones trying to figure out how you allocate every dollar. In the beginning, like I, I know over the uh, the holidays for Thanksgiving, I was trying to help my niece look at, she needs reliable transportation to go to college. We're looking at used Hondas, mm-hmm. used Toyotas, Toyotas, and we're trying to get something for under 10 grand. So, I mean, you know there's going to be some compromises. Yep. You're going to have a car that probably has 70 to 110,000 miles on it. So these things still might have complete peace of mind. But when you're in your 30s and you got your first kids, you've got your, you know, you're worried about is, are the kids and your spouse going to make it to things safely? Mm -hmm. You're probably willing to pay a little bit extra to have a warranty as well as that peace of mind. So that's the premium. So when I see peace of mind premium, it's actually a con also with buying new because let's talk about what the pros of buying used are. Yeah, so the very first one that we all think about is used cars generally tend to be cheaper and you can avoid all that depreciation. You know, the old the old tale is, you know, it drops 20% in value the second you drive it off the lot. And that's true. So if you can buy a used car, you're letting someone else pay for that depreciation. Exactly right. Let somebody else take that hit in the rear end because there is a part that cars do reach a level where depreciation becomes less Mm -hmm. of a a, a boogabear. And it's one of those things I think probably after three or four years, the worst part of the depreciation has already occurred. exactly right. And then we also know that, again, in the financial realm, car insurance tends to be less expensive if you buy a used car. If it's an older car, the price is lower, car insurance will be less expensive. And then truthfully, we know that when we buy used, we can actually get a little bit more car for the money. So yep. maybe those features we couldn't afford on a brand new car, we could buy that on a car that's two, three, four years old. This is something to be that I think can help our new car buyers as well as understanding that last point on the pros of buying used is that if you look at all the things the dealership is trying to sell you, whether it's the Premier package, Prestige package, or this feature, this feature, when you go in and you're pricing a used car, you'll notice... They don't really care about that stuff anymore. That's really only because they kind of group all the options. They give you a little bit, but it's pennies on the dollar from what you paid when it was brand new. So understand that. Keep that in your mind as well as if you are buying a new vehicle. You don't want to get trapped in that. So, Bo, let's, let's transition... Let's tell them, how do you actually know how much you can afford? Yeah, so uh, again, if, if knowing your budget is step number one, and knowing your budget, you really have to answer the affordability question. And you've heard us say this all the time. We have a very uh, straightforward formula on how you should approach buying a car, and it is 20 Three eight. Oh yeah. Now, but I think I think that you I think you changed twenty three eight no, no, recently. No, no. I love because this is community. We have a bunch. Of, we have a whole community of financial mutants, and they love sharing. So this was a comment on YouTube: is when we talk about twenty three eight, 
Adam on YouTube shared. This is his tagline: "How to make your car buying great." So say, so say the whole twenty-three-eight. How to make your car buying great? Do you, do you think we can jingle that, Reeves, and just make that like a ringtone that people can download? We live in, we live in the music city. We should, be able, we to should be able to do that. But that is how to make your car purchase great. Twenty three eight. So okay, if we know we're supposed to be twenty three eight, we thought okay, well let's kind of look at some of the averages, and so we know what the median household income in the United States is, and we said okay, if the median household income is sixty three thousand sixty three one seventy nine. That means that the median household can afford a car that costs $18,883. All right, that's pretty simple. 23.8, you put 20% down, you finance for three years, and you don't let the car payment be more than 8% of your total income. <laughs> is that what America's actually doing, though? But that's not the rest of the story. You got to keep up with is, the Joneses. You don't look as cool. Look at that thing. You saw how slow it rolled just, up in there. That's not cool. So what is what is the actual American doing? What the average car loan is in this country? You see how fast that uh-huh. came in there? And, and it looks you, good with those louvers. It has louvers on the back. That's a yeah. that's a throwback to uh, a press and a vault. Thirty two thousand one hundred and nineteen dollars. So uh, it's not quite double, but it is almost double of what the average median household would would afford following the twenty three. So think about the person that comes out of college makes this mistake from day one that you're trying to build wealth. You're already almost half behind here on where your cash because this is as we told you previously in the show. 13% 13% of people's budget is going toward card purchases. We know that the average American is nowhere near saving 13% yep. of their income. It, that's what I always say. It's not, we don't have a savings problem here in America. We have a priority problem right. with how people <sighs> allocate their dollars. Let's put that on a t shirt. We don't have a savings problem. We have a priority problem. Well, it is. I mean, it's it, it true. Of course, Bo. I mean, it just, I see things like this and it kind of gets my, gets my blood going here because I know every one of you who's in your 20s, 30s, and even 40s, you can conquer this thing. You just have to make sure you're not making big mistakes like this that will help you fall into a trap that you're just going to have a hard time crawling out of. So, and again, uh, the rule is 23-8, unless, 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 the one last thing, you've already said this once, but it's worth mentioning before we move on. If you buy a luxury brand like a BMW, Mercedes, Tesla, fill in the blank, you need to be able to pay it off in 12 months. 23.8 does not apply to luxury brands. Luxury brands, you got to pay it off in 12 months. Yeah, and the mindset on that is just that it doesn't make sense for you to get behind just so you can have a cool brand name. That's right. I'm trying to give you the ability to use, you know, if you want to finance, that's because I understand that you you might have kids riding in this, you might have your spouse, and you want to make sure that it's reliable. Mm-hmm. So sometimes new does make sense if you want that premium of getting you there and not have and having the peace of mind by that. But you do not get to go buy a Tesla, a BMW, an Audi, or a Mercedes, or any of the premium brands when you don't have all the other order of operation things, the box checked on that checklist. Love it. So let's talk about now. We've told you, know your budget, know what your relationship is with a car. Step two is do your research. That's right. We always say this. uh, The more you're willing to put in, the more you'll get out. That flows through to almost every single area of personal finance. Buying a car is no different. If you're willing to put in a little bit extra, you will get so much more out of that when it comes to the purchase decision. An educated consumer is going to be empowered. And here's the thing. I often wonder, there's times in history, what's funny is this is almost kind of like a history lesson for a lot of the the money guy content team (laughs) is because people have wondered how do ugly, unreliable cars actually get sold. But yet you see these things on the street. I know if you drive around and you look around and go, Oh man, what were they thinking? How in the world do they buy it? I'll tell you what happened is they got in a situation where they needed a car 
They were like, well, there's a car dealership right down the street. Plug in whatever manufacturer you want to. They went with what was easy. They Uh didn't do the steps of making sure that this car was going to be a resource for them. If you need a case in point, Bo, show them the next thing. This is a Yugo. (laughs) Yugo's was a failed experiment of these these cars were horribly unreliable. There is, you know, I don't even know if it's mama loved how ugly this car was when it came out and was, I mean, the design, who designed this car? See, like, so when I look, I'm like, man, that's retro, right? That that actually probably be cool today. If that rolled out today, I don't know about the liability, but that ro- if that came out today, it might not give the Model 3 a run for its money, but there are some folks who would jump all over it, I think. I just know that this car, there is a reason. This is the definition of being sold a car. This is people walking on a car uh, car dealership. It shines. It's shiny red like it is on another dealership of somebody who's researching, and they ride off with this thing, and then it's just going to be a headache for the next five to ten years of their life. So don't make that mistake. We want to help you know how to research so you can be an empowered consumer. So let's kind of talk about this, Bo. At a minimum, here's some analytics you've got to know. You've got to know... What are the manufacturers saying these cars cost? What is the MSRP That's the, for these uh, cars? Manufacturer suggested retail price. That's what they're saying that the dealership ought to be selling the car for, right? Nobody pays that. I mean, but they put it on but there. They put it on there. That, that, you know why they put those things on there? So when the dealer does those commercials that scream at you, they can go ten thousand dollars off MSRP. I mean, they do it. They do that. I mean, that's actually they, really pretty good. No, and then they start for. banging on the hood. I mean, there is so many like skits, jokes. There's a reason I think they have done studies that the louder the dealership screams at you probably shows you what the type of audience they're trying to do. Because if you notice when they try to, to, to market luxury brands, they play classical music uh-huh. and they talk in very like almost English accents. Jaguar. You know, they, they say things like that. But if it is something where they think that you're just not that smart, they scream at scream you and at bang you. on it and tell you how awesome it is. So don't fall prey to that stuff. Let's talk about some of the websites and resources you can use. Sure. So we think there's a, a, a number of resources out there. Again, the internet, as with most things, has made uh, information is instantaneously available to all of us. So we think there are a number of resources that you can use for your research. One of the first ones that we talk about all the time, and we've used this for, can I say decades? I think it's actually been decades I'm old enough you can say decades. Uh, That's kind of what I was implying. (laughs) Uh, Consumer Reports. Consumer Reports is a great place to go to uh, figure out things that you might not otherwise know about. As automobile. long as you're not shopping for a Tesla, yes. <laughs> I, I still, I mean, I'm a little bitter about how they've handled I Tesla. I thought we were going to make it through without you giving that disclaimer. I well, thought no, we were going I think to. the reason, and look, I don't mind if they ever ask me, I think the problem is, is the guys they've got looking at the Tesla might not be the generational type that understands a Tesla <laughs> because I think they get tr- they have trouble with the technology side of it. But definitely, I still like consumer reports. Um, and they have no ties to the auto industry, right? So what's really great is they're not necessarily a. Uh, you have to be careful how you say that because okay. I have I have amended that based upon how I've seen. Because look, Tesla doesn't advertise. Auto industry in general is one of the largest advertisers, and even though Consumer Reports is a not-for-profit, you have to understand that there is definitely a relationship, or you could say a conflict of interest, on who provides vehicles how the testing works. Also, I think there's also this moral hazard that they've realized the more trolly they can be to Tesla, the more media coverage they get because since so much press is paid for, so much advertisement is in the press. That's how the news media is paid is through advertising. I I think that there is, they know that 
the press loves trolls on Tesla. So Consumer Reports knows the moral hazard that the, the negative it is, the more attention they get. Okay, so Consumer Reports is a resource. Let's talk about another one. Let's talk about Kelly Blue Book, okay? There's a different resource. Now, I like that because that gives you all the analytical stuff we're talking about. MSRP, invoice, and it just gives you like trade-in values if you want to look at used cars. This is going to be a good resource for you. Carfax, so you can figure out if the car's been wrecked. Edmonds, I've, I've had, I love Edmonds because they also do a lot of reviews, gives you a lot of pricing. You can go on the forums and research some, some technical service bulletins and other things like that. And then I love YouTube because I tell you, we're going to be buying this car, you know, through the internet, mm-hmm. through the telephone. You know, it's one of those things. I love how YouTube lets you go and experience the vehicle while you're trying to hone in what type of vehicle you're going to buy, which model you're going to do. There's so many people out there creating content on this. It is. It's a great resource yeah, for so you. I, I love YouTube because you, instead of just looking at still pictures that are photoshopped and beautiful, you can actually see the car in motion. Usually, you can have an unbiased third party reviewing it. But okay, so Brian, all this is great. All this is wonderful. But nothing can replace the feeling of actually sitting in the car, right? And you actually are going, going to need to test, test drive. drive because I think once you get it down to two or three vehicles, you're going to want to test drive. But you have to take a blood oath to yourself to promise you're not going to because. They'll let you test drive the car, but they're usually going to want to talk to you right afterwards to start the negotiation process. Guys, you are skipping tremendous steps there. You're losing your home field advantage if you fall prey to negotiating with them right after the test drive. So take a blood oath and promise yourself you're not going to be buying a car that day. This is a fact-finding mission. Do not stray from this goal. Now, uh, this is this is probably silly. Uh, my wife is a pretty solid. I mean, she's a pretty sound financial decision maker. She does, you know, pr- pretty good. I don't know why I do this, but every time before we go look at cars, I sit and have this pep talk with her, and I tell her, "Hey, uh, we're not going to buy a car," and as if she's going to coerce me to do it. And I say, right. "Hey, if you love it, don't tell them." Yeah. You know, and and I and I give her this whole pep talk. I don't know that that's actually necessary, but I still do it every single no, time. No, I think I think you do have to get your mind right because discipline and deferred gratification, without a doubt, just like they reward you in financial decisions. You know, whether it's saving in your Roth IRA or getting your employer match, they also reward you in transactions and big purchases like this. So definitely. Discipline, deferred gratification are your friends. I did want to, before we left this section, there's one of the things I want to talk about, because this was actually, uh, Daniel brought this to me. Mm-hmm. If you are buying a used vehicle, take that used vehicle, especially private party and even dealerships. I think that you should not just take for granted that because it's on a dealership lot, that that means it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, take it to a trusted mechanic. Oh, because that's great. Yep. Daniel shared with me a, 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 a cautionary tale where he bought a used car, the person had just cleared out a bunch of codes, because now anybody has the ability to plug in to the computer codes, clear out the warning things, because there's all kind of apps and other things mm-hmm. that let you do that. You've got to be careful. A trusted mechanic will tell you what's going on, what are the logs showing on those cars, yep. and it'll also just give you a once-over and give you a little more peace of mind on that used vehicle. I think that's great. So let's talk about now that we've done research... Now that we've got our mind right so we don't make silly mistakes, let's talk about how you do step three, which is negotiate. Now, when I think in, when it comes to car buying, this one I think is so polarizing because what I have found is this is either someone's absolute favorite part of the process or somebody would rather have their teeth pulled than go through this part of the process. Who would enjoy negoti- doing the car? This is almost like when I find out somebody does their own taxes with a pencil <laughs> or pen, I'm like, you're not using software? Like, what's wrong with you? I mean, but there are people out there. So I guess that I will I will concede that there probably are people that like negotiating. 
Um, I, I think but it's painful. We're, we're not we're not two of those people. No, I I I think I think we're good at it, but I think it's one of those reluctant skill mm-hmm. sets because I, I and look, I will tell you, technology has made this better. If you are a person, you know for a fact, you don't like to negotiate. There are good car buying services now to help you. Now I have to give you a cautionary tale on car buying services because when I was buying my wife's last car in 2018. I, I, the sales manager, he found out what I did for a living. He was very curious, so he shared some inside baseball stuff with me. And he let me know that a lot of the car buying services that are very popular do have kind of kickback fees that the dealers will pay to the car buying service for bringing a buyer to them. And I don't know that that's that makes very it, well disclosed to the people using these car buying services. It makes services. it seem like it's not very unbiased, right? If I'm going to pay a car buying service, I want them to be completely switched. It creates some it. conflicts. Yeah. So you just got you got to be wary. I'm not saying it's bad. So his, this is the inside baseball information I got. It's like Costco. Costco is a great car buying service, mm-hmm. but really works well with the domestic manufacturers. So if you know, it's probably high quantity type cars. He said it was less effective with luxury brands. Okay. So I thought that was quite interesting. True Car, because everybody, yeah. you see True Car everywhere. I think True Car is a great resource, but do understand that True Car does receive compensation from the dealerships mm-hmm. that are on their network or, or they're using. So that's something to be very aware of because they are essentially selling your email. When you give that email address on True Car, they send that out to yeah, local I, dealers. I, I don't know if you've done this, but when I ever like do the pricing on True Car to figure out what the price is, I mean, I get calls immediately. Yeah. Like it, it, they start pouring in automatically. So that I see that one like for sure. So that brings it to the one that I kind of do like, and I've actually had some clients who've used this service and have have been pretty pleased with it. Is car bargains? Car bargains cost about two hundred. It does cost two hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. I actually had a client that used this service. I reached out to him, James. Thank you for being the guy who's willing to share the experience. Um, he actually sent me. They they prepare a whole spreadsheet mm-hmm. for you, and they he had six dealerships that actually competed for his price. So they are creating this feeding frenzy that I'll be talking about mm-hmm. in a minute. I love the competition competition that it creates because an environment of competition. You, the consumer, are the winner. There's a reason Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab are in a complete battle right now to get dominance Mm -hmm. in the investment marketplace on the retail side. The consumer is the beneficiary of that. It's the same thing with buying big-ticket items, even like cars. And, Brent, I would argue you're pretty good at buying cars. I've watched you do it a gazillion times, either personally or for clients over the years. And I asked you, I was like, well, okay, would, would you pay $250 for the service? And you said, absolutely. If if not for them making the dealerships compete, just for the information that was on the spreadsheet, comparing the six different automobiles from six different dealerships, you said even that is kind of worth the price of admission with car bargains. Yeah, having the six prices with all the different breakouts of the fees that each dealership because they each dealership had to submit their pricing mm-hmm. all the dock fees all the things that usually throw people for a loop or the reindeer games that, that are played at car dealerships all on there 250 just the data alone was worth it and plus your time value of your money i mean think about what your time the is money worth. value of your time yeah i mean if you are a person that you're busy with life but also professionally it might be worth if you sure. take an inventory of what your time is worth 
it might be worth worth looking into. Now that leads to because there are going to be a group of you. You're sitting here watching a video on YouTube on how do you get the best deal. You're a do-it-yourselfer, yep. so we wanted to give you some tips to be very successful in the do-it-yourself side of negotiations. So, Bo, let's go ahead and hit them. What's tip one? Yeah, tip number one is you want to create what we call a feeding frenzy. You want to make sure that you find three to five cars on the dealership website that are essentially the same, exactly right? right? So you want to find a couple dealers that have the same exact car, and you want them to begin competing to see which one is going to get the sale. So a lot of you are like, well, that sounds great. Feeding frenzy. I mean, that sounds like I'm going to get a deal, but how do I do it? Here's the great thing with technology. Dealerships now will post their inventory. Now, you have to be careful because any dealership, when you call them up or you send them an email, they'll say, I can get you any car. That's and right. that's true. They will trade with other dealers, but they can only they can give you the best deal on the cars that are sitting on their lot right now. So what you want to do is, is you typically want to find all the dealers around you, find their zip codes mm -hmm. so that you can, when you do a search on the manufacturer's website, like Honda mm -hmm. or Toyota, it will tell you the dealerships, and you can actually see the, the inventory that they have on their lot. Yep. Don't let them just go search for a car, because you can imagine another dealer is not going to give them the car without getting something, and that something is what's going to keep you from getting the best deal. So pay attention to that. Another thing you said, Brian, is that email is probably the best way. To, rather than calling the dealerships and trying to talk to someone and going back and forth, email where you have a written record, I think what you said is it removes a lot of the emotion from it, right? So you don't get talked into something. You can just be very matter-of-fact. Hey, I'm looking at this car. What can you do? Hey, I was looking at this car. This dealership can do this. What can you do? It just makes it a lot more uh, uh, sterile of, a, of Look, a process. Humans, we are designed as emotional creatures. So we are, our environment impacts us in a certain way. And dealerships understand that they, they take advantage of this. Yep. So here's some of the, the emotional sales tactics. Scarcity. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you, oh, you need to buy this car today. I had somebody looking at it. There's, have yeah. you ever noticed there's always someone looking at the car you want either that morning or yesterday? Yeah. I, that's so a, I don't know. Are scarcity you that is a scary thing. I'm that unlucky they, they do every that single constantly. time. constantly. Hard to say no. In mm -hmm. person, they know that once you're connected to somebody, you're looking them in the eye. If they have given you a coffee out of the Keurig or giving you a fresh bottle of water, when they try to get a deal, you're going to feel like, man, that, I just like I feel them. bad. This, this, this guy or girl has spent some time with me. It's really hard to say no. They take advantage of that. And then the ability to leave the situation. If somebody sends you an email quote, your emotional connection is very limited. But if you're sitting there, you have to physically get up, you have to disappoint your spouse, and you have to leave the situation. Guys, that is not going to be a win-win situation. It, it, you, you, what you're trying to do with a feeding frenzy is you're taking an emotional transaction and turning it into a commodity. By you having three to five of the same vehicles, you don't care where it comes from, you just want the best deal. Tip number two, uh, we think communication is key. Now, this is going to sound so common sense, but when you go to purchase a new car, when you see the email, make it known that you actually intend on buying a car. And we actually use this language, hey, Mr. Salesperson, just so you know, I am going to buy a car. Yeah, let them know. That way they know you're not a tire kicker. Yep. Because there's so many people, I think, that show up on dealerships. And if you tell them, I am buying a car, give me your best price. No ifs, ands, or buts. Don't play any reindeer games. And then here's a way to kind of get to the front of the line, too. Ask to talk to the sales manager. Yep. If you get to the person that's actually making the decision, so that way 
it, that's why we like doing this through email or through phone calls. It keeps all these these games or tactics to a minimum. So, and then I asked the question, Brian, in show prep, I was like, well, what if you can't get the sales manager? What if he's just like unwilling to talk to you? You said something I thought was so great. You're like, if you get a bad vibe from the sales manager, maybe lack of access, it probably doesn't say a lot of glowing things about the dealership necessarily or about what the whole process and interaction is going to be like. Yeah, if you're if you're if your first impression or or your first your interaction with a dealership is bad, probably not going to get better. Yep. So so be very careful and let that be a kind of a, a a kind of an indicator of how thing of things to come. Number three. Watch out for nickels and dimes, Bo. What are we talking about on, on this tip? Yeah, we always, uh, a lot of folks want to talk about the price of the car, price of the car, price of the car. One thing that we always say is whenever it comes to negotiating and figuring out, you always want to ask, what is my drive out price going to be? Because when you get your drive out price, that's after freight fees, advertising fees, document fees, other required fees. A lot of that stuff is negotiable, but if the dealership says it's non-negotiable, you want to understand what is the bottom line number I'm going to pay not the number before you add all of these prices in. Well, you saw, I mean, because you bought a car not too long ago, Bo, and they, they just refused to get rid of this, I can't remember if it was a dock a fee, d- dealer docu- fee, yeah. or sales fee. They, 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 it's bull crud. It's all pro- built-in profit, so you yep. just you want to know exactly what you said. Drive out so you don't get caught up in Absolutely. that stuff. Because you don't want somebody pulling a bait-and-switch saying, oh, I can beat that price and do this, but then when you actually show up to close the deal, it's something completely right. different because they did some add-ons. So watch the nickels and dimes. Number four, are there any sweeteners to the deal? What do we mean by that, Bo? Yeah, you can always ask about uh, factory rebates. Uh, you can check rebates. You can use sites like uh, Kelly Blue Book or Edmonds. A lot of times dealerships will offer discounts for uh, recent graduates, or if you're a loyal customer, we've done this with Honda. You know, Because we've bought a number of Hondas, we get a little bit of a, of a discount there. Or military. And the, one of our favorite is... It's always okay to ask for free stuff. When you get to the very yeah. end of the negotiation, you always get to say, hey, we're close. We're almost there. Would you be willing to throw in the all-weather floor mats? Or could you throw in the cargo net? Or can you... Three oil changes. Give me the oil. Yeah, whatever it is. Are there things you can tack on that still have monetary value but don't necessarily affect the price of the car itself? Yeah, and the reason they can do that is because it doesn't cost a dealership that much mm-hmm. to give you a deal, but it can bridge the difference in price that you're trying to that's reach. Right. And that's that's why we talk about the sweeteners. And then the last thing, get it in writing, guys. Get mm-hmm. confirmation that this is what your price is going to be so that when you actually show up at the dealership to pick up the vehicle, to pay the vehicle – that you know exactly all the things that are going into that transaction. So again, a quick recap. If you're going to do it yourself, tip one, create a feeding frenzy. Tip two, make sure that you communicate you're buying a car. Tip three, understand all the costs. Tip four, make them throw in some free stuff that doesn't affect them a ton. And tip five, make sure you have it in writing because that's going to be your power throughout the process. So let's talk about step four. This is a big thing. You're probably trying to figure out cash or do I finance this vehicle? Mm -hmm. This is a big one. Because we all know vehicles depreciate really rapidly. So you're thinking right now, cash is my answer because I just, why would I want to create debt? And I'm telling you the debt is not because you can't afford the vehicle. Hopefully it's not. I want you to understand that the debt might be just a component of getting the best deal out of the transaction. So, Bo, let's let's do an exercise here. I want to know what was the profitability of the car, of car dealerships, uh, you know, 10 years ago and where they are right now. Oh, it's so funny that you asked that, Brian. I actually have that information. If you wanted to know how much profit a dealership made back in 2009, the answer was $837 was the profit on a car they sold to you. 
But because of all the things that are changing, it's actually dropped. In 2019, the average profit that a dealer gets from selling a car is $381. So right now we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, if a dealership on each car, they average making, in 2009, they were making 837. Now they're making 381. You're like, Poor, Poor dealership. How are they, they are going hurting. out of business? They, they are, are probably struggling. Tons of money. There is more to this that you need. You have to understand. Car dealerships and manufacturers have gotten into where they're more financial companies mm-hmm. than they are just car companies. Because let's show them the rest of the story. What was the profit from financing in 2009, Bo? In 2009, it was $516 was their profit. And now in 2019, it's up to $982. What I think is so rich is that in a 10-year time frame, the total amount of money that dealership makes off the car changed by $10. And it actually went up by $10, not down by $10. And But here's the thing. But you notice, they don't make money off the car anymore. Nope. The lion's share of their profit is now on the financial instrument that, se- that is selling it. Because so, they went from $516 from financing in 2009 to $982. Guys, this shows me to get the best deal you're probably going to have to look at financing now. But you better have a really healthy relationship that you understand. This is why we talk about, once again, 23.8, is because it's going to let you get that car paid off really quickly. You're not doing, even with luxury brands, if you use this as a financial tactic to get the best price what you know that you can, mm-hmm. you're going to pay this thing off really quickly, within 12 months. Now, we get the question all the time. People ask, well, hey, guys, I hear... Okay, I understand, but hey, I'm young, and I'm going to go buy a car, and I understand that my army of dollar bills can work. And you told me, if I'm under 45, I should not prepay my mortgage, so why shouldn't I just stretch out my auto loan because I have a really low interest rate of 3%, 4 1.9%. 1.9%. Maybe I can go out there and make more in the marketplace. Maybe you can, but remember, the difference is it is a depreciating asset. And if, and I have friends this has happened to, if you get into a situation where you have a car wreck and the car's totaled, you don't want to find yourself in the place where the check that you get from the insurance company is for less than the car is worth. That's what extending that financing can do for you. And this goes back to the point that Daniel brought that inspired this entire show. Too many people are buying cars that they're financing like $39,000, but the new car was $33,000 because they have so much negative equity. If you, even if the dealer is offering you 1.9 or 0.9 or even 2.9, I'm okay with you taking those deals to get the best deal possible, but you better pay it off really rapidly. 23.8 for regular brands, meaning, you know, three years. And then for premium brands, 12 months, same as cash. And then I want you to be a fearful borrower. I don't want you jumping into this because the average loan amount, like I said, is getting close to $33,000. And that's for new cars, used cars, it's a little over $20,000. And then the turn, this is the, 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 what I think is, I'd consider this faking it until you make it is that the average length of loans is now thirty close to 31% of them are between 73 to 84 months I mean, long. so that's, that's over six to seven years, right? I mean, that's that's getting... When you start talking about lengths of time that are that long... That's for that, just new cars, by that's the like way. A mor- that's, I mean, that's, there are mortgages that are paid off more quickly than that. So that gets really scary. And then think about that. We just said, you know, 73 to 84 months. We're talking about up to seven years your finances car... 19% of used cars are that way. So you're already buying a car that is three or four years old, and then you're extending the the pay. You'll It's just you never actually own these cars. You're underwater from yep. day one, so be careful. These things depreciate very rapidly. Don't be a victim of that. So you want to have the car paid off. 36 months is, is the ideal time. If it's a premium brand, 
12 months, same as cash, make it happen. So those are the four steps to approach car buying. However, we thought in true Money Guy fashion, we wanted to throw a little bonus. Wait, away. there's more. <laughs> Look, so, that's a good Billy Mays. I like so, that. So bonus. Here's the bonus step. Let's talk about this maintenance and warranties. Because extended warranty, I don't care if you're buying used car. If you're buying from a dealership, whether it's used or new, somehow they're probably going to try to sell you a warranty of some type. It's only happened to me 100% of the time I bought cars. <laughs> you have to know what type of person you are. Um, I don't love extended warranties. Cars are pretty daggum reliable these yep. days. So I, I typically don't like them. Um, but you have to know who you are. because And if you are going to buy an extended warranty, do your research. This is, this is another profit component of the transaction. It's not uncommon that you might be able to to add the the warranty later, mm -hmm. so that way you can go you know shop around. I know I bought a, an Acura years ago yep. for my wife. I was able to shop the Acura war the Honda warranty on the Acura through other dealerships. Another I don't know dealership if that's still some other part of the country because yeah. I ended up doing the, the same thing. I don't know if they still offer that type of opportunity, but it was a great money saver at yep. the time. And then this was Daniel kind of inspired this too. He said, make sure you talk about maintenance because I do think a lot of people, you, you make this big financial purchase and then you have this new car or used car, but you don't treat it like this mm -hmm. is something, this is no different you, if the better you treat it, the better it's going to treat you 100%. on reliability. But so many people will drive cars without changing the oil. The check engine light comes on and they just keep driving it. Do you ever I mean, find that when you get in a car and someone's check engine light is on and they're acting like it's not going on, like it freaks you out a little bit? Like I, I don't have a ton of friends that do that anymore, but I used to have friends. As soon as we get in, it looked like a Christmas tree lit up, and I'm like, "Are we okay?" And they're, oh, it's fine. Mm. Oh, it's fine. I'm like, I don't know that it's fine. Uh, I, I had a, I, I had a friend. All my, I will tell you, I have been in a car when it has caught fire <laughs> at a red light. I kid you not. Back, this is right after college. I have some funny stories, but we were all going to a sporting event, and then we were like, man, there's a lot of smoke in the area, <laughs> and then we realized we it's were us. in the car that was on fire and had to get out of it. So different yes, type of Chinese fire drill. You definitely need to make sure that you are watching. The maintenance, and here's here's a here is one of the greatest things I can tell you: technical service bulletins, mm -hmm. guys. If you don't go Google your car with the words "technical service bulletin," you're missing out. Because here's here's what a technical service bulletin is: all the manufacturers they know that there are issues because these things were designed by humans, so they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. So they know there's some issues with every car that's made. They will send out to to the dealerships and the service departments. The known issues that are that they know about, but they don't rise to the level that they need to do a full recall mm -hmm. for the entire population of vehicles. If you can see what those technical service bulletins are, you can then look at your car and say, yeah, I, I kind of have these. Like, I know I, I had a, a Lexus mm -hmm. that I bought brand new, and before, while it was still under warranty, this is why these technical service bulletins, that I knew that, yes, when I hit the brakes, there was a little weird feel in it. There was a known issue with the rear brakes. So okay. I got new brakes put on right before the warranty And it was all out. covered under warranty. All under warranty. So one of the things you can do is go check this immediately before a warranty or a manufacturer's warranty expires. So if you're like five, fifty thousand or whatever, go check it right before, right? Yeah, for sure. And then always know about recalls too, because mm -hmm. these are things that even if your car is out of warranty, a recall they will fix it for free. I mean, they even think about all these airbags. They replaced oh, yeah. airbags in cars that were 10 years old. They were replacing airbags because it was part of a mm -hmm. full governmental recall. 
pay attention to those things. The more you know about your vehicle, the more you take care of it. And if you, you know, it's like everything else in life. If you're an educated consumer, you are an empowered consumer and you will make the most of your resources. And I want you to think about your money. Even though, I mean, your vehicle, even though this thing depreciates rapidly, there is a better way to make these decisions and just maximize the opportunity. Yeah, if you have to buy a car, which I would argue almost every single one of us has to do, you might as well do it right. You might as well stretch your dollar 5, 10, 15% farther than your peers. And we think that there are some steps you can take to do that. Pre-step number one is just understand the ground rules. Understand how the game is played. Step number one, know your budget. Step number two, do your research. Step number three, understand how to negotiate well. And I want negotiate. Understand how to present facts well to to put your case for what you should pay out there. Step four, figure out if you should finance it or pay cash. And then your bonus step, understand how warranties play in and make sure that you take care of this thing that you're spending a lot of money on. And then I had two final things. I waited to say these at the end was, I like the car buying services for people who are short on time, Mm -hmm. but want to still get a decent deal. So you can Mm -hmm. look at things like car bargains, Costco and things like that. But then here's another clue. If you are the type of person that can pay cash for your vehicle, Tesla doesn't allow you to negotiate. You just pay the price. And I kind of like it. You know, I thought I would dislike that everybody pays the same price from the manufacturer. It actually makes it a lot more, it's just easier. It takes away some of the difficulty of the process, right? So it's just, I I, I couldn't help myself because I, you know, I have have the car for my wife and then I have my Tesla that y'all see on the channel. I kind of like how that purchase transaction went. So I'll leave it at that. You still have to deal with the trade-in. And then last but least, you know, guys, a lot of you guys, this is a resource. You can tell we're just giving it away. It is all part of this abundance cycle. We want you to come, learn, apply, grow. You're going to reach a level of success that at some point you're going to go, I think I need somebody to help me. I need a partner in this whole thing. This My, my enterprise has gotten so big, I'd love to have a second opinion that's when the abundance cycles go come back to us and you go reach out and take the relationship to the next level. So go to moneyguy.com and um, look at the work with us. But then I also want you to go to the resource page. That's a great point. If, if you like the information that we're sharing, you love, like, I like it, but I want to go just a little bit deeper. Go check out our website. You can go to moneyguy.com. Uh, we actually have blog posts where we dive a little bit deeper than what we can cover in the show. And we just like you said, we have our resource page. Where we make deliverables, PDFs, spreadsheets, checklists, flow charts, things to help you make better financial decisions are available and they are free and they are out there for you. So if you have not checked out the resource page, make sure you go check that out. They cost your wallet zero. So take advantage of these things, guys. I'm telling you, your wallet and your future self will thank you tremendously. So thanks so much for tuning in. Money Guy team, love that we're getting so close to 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for all the podcast listeners. you got to go to the website and just see what we've got working. We're cooking things constantly. So I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen, Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. (laughs) 